0: we are finishing up Hebrews chapter 11. So in Hebrews chapter 11 it was the, it, we went through the great men and women of faith. <clears throat> We're going to start reading in Hebrews 11 verse 39. And all these having gained approval did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they should they would not be made perfect. So if you look at the devotion of these people, it just talked about all the, the the suffering and the pain that many of them went through. How they observed, how they went through mockings and scourgings, pain and imprisonment, torturing and imprisonment. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. It went through this whole list of things that the people went through. And it says, all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. How is approval with God gained? It is not by our doing good works. It is by doing this very thing that it is by faith. Will I believe God? Will I believe God and His Word? This is how approval is gained. Approval with God is gained. By believing His word, by believing what He has for us is true. Because God provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. There is a community in the body of Christ where there is a relationship one to another. It is very hard to grow in Christ all alone. If you're not part of a church community, of a campus community, of something where there's other believers around you, it is very hard to grow. I have never even seen it happen. Now, if you were in prison all alone, you and the Lord, it would probably happen if you really pressed into the Lord. But we are to be in community. It says, apart from us, they would not be made perfect. There's some sort of community experience here. So let's look in Hebrews chapter 12 now, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so he says therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us now some people believe that this crowd of witnesses is the people that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 those men and women of faith that are looking down from heaven upon us and they are witnesses to our actions. That is the interpretation of of some believers and and, uh, uh, some denominations in particular. It is not the interpretation of other denominations and other believers. Others believe that this cloud of witnesses is not saying that people who have gone into heaven, believers who have gone into heaven before us, are looking down at us and critiquing us in any way. Or, or observing us in any way, but that this cloud of witnesses is all the rest of us as believers. That so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. It, it doesn't say above us, it's just surrounding us. That we are related to this same community that we just read about at the end of, of uh, chapter 11. The same community that we made reference to. That's what, what uh, uh, many believe that they're talking about, that we we are observing one another and people are watching us. People watch our behavior. And he says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So what I want you to do as we read through the first part of this sentence. I want you to think about this word, us and our, us and our, to see how much of this is relying upon us. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Let us lay aside every encumbrance. So, he commits to us, he says that we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Not surrounding him in heaven, but surrounding us. And we, there are encumbrances there are encumbrances that we are to lay aside. So, what is my task? My task is to lay aside encumbrances that entangle me, the encumbrances that lay aside encumbrances and sin which entangles me. So, I am to lay aside encumbrances. What are encumbrances that that uh, I won't I won't talk about you. I'll talk about me. What are encumbrances that can easily get my attention? Well, a number of years ago, I switched from a a, a hard-covered book Bible to an electronic Bible. And one of the reasons I did that is, is either I can put on my reading glasses and read the book, or I can look at my electronic Bible that I can expand the font size and turn up the intensity, and then I can see it without my glasses, and then I can search things very quickly. And so often I will do that on my phone. But if that's on my phone, one of my encumbrances I quit... Keep switching to different apps. What's the weather today? You know, what's happened today? So I don't know if that's an encumbrance for you, but an encumbrance to, to me in my own quiet times can be my smartphone can get a hold of me. There are encumbrances. So I need to set aside a dedicated time and this is not something that I can just do on the fly. Oh, well, I, when I get some break during the day, then I'll do this. I set aside a devoted time in the morning. And then when my kids were young and at home, I would make sure that I was up before they were awake so that I could make sure I had that dedicated time. Because once the kids are awake, there's always something. I mean, they got to go to the bathroom. They need something to eat. Something's always happening as soon as they get up from their bed. So we... It says, let us also lay aside. So it's not so much as, Lord, take care of this for me. Take care of this. He says, no, this one's on you. Let us lay aside every encumbrance. This one's on me. And the sin which so easily entangles us. So he's putting this one on me too. He says, you are to lay aside the sin which so easily entangles you not that my smartphone is a sin, but there's other things that could be a distraction to me that would be sinful, that to me they're, 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 they're a challenge and a, and a sin. He says, let us lay those aside. You see, there are things that come upon us, he's saying to them. This is not an issue of salvation. He's saying so that you can have this undevoted attention. And let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see how much of all, all of this is falling on us now? When it comes to the strong close to him. He says, let us run this race with endurance. I was speaking to a man once who, who uh, uh, has this company. And this company, what they do is they come in when... when uh, uh, Say another company has had some major disaster with the leadership. So say a CEO of a company has fallen into some gross immorality in his family life and it's been exposed. And so now the company is just shaking at the top level. Or the CEO or the top management has learned that uh, uh, there's been some embez- embezzling going on and now the stock prices are shaking because of this. So what this man's company does is they will come in and assist other companies that are going through times of shaking. Well, this man who owns this assisting company told me he only hires those people who were collegiate athletes. You only hire collegiate athletes. He says, yes. I said, why? He says, because they really know how to run with endurance. They know how to play. They know how to run in spite of the pain. They know how to play as a team, that the whole thing is about the team. They know how to get up early. I mean, I see this thing. I go go to the the rec center on campus early in the morning to work out. And at 6 a.m., the women's swim team is out there and it'll be freezing outside. And they're running out there in their swimsuits and jumping in the pool. I mean, that's not easy to do at 6 in the morning when it's really cold out. And I really respect them for that. There are things that people learn as collegiate athletes to do. If anyone has played a sport, a competitive sport, you understand what it is to play through pain, to continue to play even when you're hurting. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So in other words, each individual has some race that is set before them some race is set before them the race is different for everybody i was talking to one of the guys who ran in the uh, in the houston marathon last week and he ran it in just under 3 hours which is pretty good but that was not as good as he could have been he was running for the race he was the 3 hour man so in other words he wore this this outfit so people could just pace themselves by him He made sure to pass the clocks at a certain place so that if you run with him, you're going to run at a three-hour mark. And he said, near the end of the race, all the people who were running and and looking to you as as the one they were following are passing you. And you're not allowed to go any faster. You have to end, right? And so he ended it like two hours and 59 minutes and 30 seconds, very close to the three-hour mark. But he was saying, yeah, some people were complaining about the underpasses or the overpasses, you know, where it goes down slightly and up slightly. I mean, that's all you get in Houston. That's the only hills. But Houston, they say, is a very fast race because it's all on one level. Different places you go have different races. You go to San Francisco, it's going to be very different. He sets a different race before each one of us. When I read about these men and women of faith in the last chapter, what they went through, I'm like... My walk is just kindergarten. I have never experienced any of this. The most that I've ever had is somebody has, has made fun of something about my Christianity, like my Christian t-shirt or something. That's the most persecution I've ever had. So compared to getting sawn in two, compared to scourgings, compared to chains and imprisonment, I feel like a real wimp. I've never been through anything like that. Everybody has a different race. And D.L. And, uh, Moody said, you can test a man with many things, but in his experience, the biggest test is actually not the chains and imprisonment. He says the biggest test is success. He says, you go ahead and test a man with success. You'll see many of them fall away. That's what many of you will be tested with. You will be tested with success. And will you continue to be faithful? Will you continue to follow? He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So who are you targeting in your race? What are you looking at? Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So this whole thing about faith, where he says, faith is the whole thing by which you are going to gain approval. The whole thing about faith is this. He is the author of it. Jesus invented this. Whose idea was it To have approval based on faith. Oh, that was Jesus' idea. He is the author of faith. And he is the perfecter of it. He himself walked in it. He didn't ask us to walk in something that he himself didn't walk in. Was Jesus tested with success? Absolutely. Imagine if everywhere you went, you'd speak a word and people would get healed. I mean, if that happens to one of us one time, we're like, whoa. I mean, Jesus could easily have been a rock star. I mean, people are just coming and bringing, it's just masses of people were getting healed. Jesus was tested with success and he was tested with mockings and imprisonment and chains and scourgings. He authored it and he perfected it. And he says, you set your eyes on him who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Jesus had as his goal, when he was on the cross, some joy was set before him. He was looking to some joy. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Dying on the cross was the most shameful way to die in those days. So they were stripped naked, they were beaten, they were shredded, and they, they didn't have a loincloth as you, as you see on pictures today. There was nothing on. It. And they were hung on a cross like that for everybody to see. For days, they were hung on crosses like that. So, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy that was set before him? In John chapter 17, verse 5, it says that he was going to be returning to his Father. Returning to the glory of his Father. The joy of returning to the glory of his Father. And in Isaiah 53, verse 11, the joy of bringing many people to the kingdom with him. So the joy of bringing people with him into the kingdom through his death. And the joy of returning to his father. That was the goal that he set for himself. That is what he viewed from where he was. And it says in verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, set Jesus as your mentor. Set Jesus as the one you run after. So, so I have had the, the great blessing of having great mentors in my life. There was a man named Brother Bak Singh from India. Great man. He influenced me a lot just to see his life of prayer, his devotion to the word of God, his devotion to serving God all his life. Another man who had been trained by him as well, Dr. T.E. Koshi and Dr. Delmar Brosma and another man, uh, 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 James Buck Hatch. So these four men poured themselves into me. So often what I will do when I'm trying to think, how do I handle a situation? I just say, what would Brother Bach Singh say? What would, what would Dr. Koshy say? What would he say? And then boom, I have an answer. Because I was around these men, I know what they would say, I know what they would do, and I was around them enough I used to spend a lot of time with them. Dr. Brosma, he was a, uh, the pastor of the church when I was in graduate school. He was also a professor at the university. And I used to watch him, just how he would respond in situations. So I know how to respond now in situations because I saw Dr. Brosma do it. So I set these men and he says, now I want you to think about Jesus and what he endured, such hostility by sinners against himself so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Because it's very easy to go through persecution and to think, wow, I'm the only one who's going through this. He says, you look at Jesus, (laughs) think about him. And that will recalibrate for you what really persecution is. That'll recalibrate for you. He says, you set your eyes on him who endured hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There is a target you set up for yourself in life, and that target is Jesus. And look at the men who mentored you. Look at the women who mentored you and the way they lived their lives and set them as your target. Set them as your target and say, let me live my life like them. He says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? So he says, in your striving against sin, you he says you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in the striving against sin. In other words, you will soon undergo the shedding of blood. You will soon undergo that shedding of blood in the striving against sin because he knew what was coming upon them. He knew that if they walked with Jesus, that what was coming upon them was, was they were going to ha- start shedding their blood and the persecution was going to increase upon them. He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. I'm telling you, whatever you go through in this culture is nothing compared to what people today are going through in other cultures. In their striving against sin, in the striving against sinful people coming against them. And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So this verse, this end of verse 5 and all of verse 6 are from Proverbs chapter 3. And this is one of the first verses that I ever memorized as a student, as an undergraduate student, one of the first verses that I've ever memorized, and I memorized it out of Proverbs, and you say, well, it should be exactly the same as here. No, because Proverbs, the, the translation of the Old Testament in our Bibles are from, from the Masoretic text. And so they translated the Mesoretic text into English. Here, they're translating a Greek text into English. That Greek text took it from the Septuagint prob- probably, which was, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So it went from Hebrew into, into uh, 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 Greek and then from Greek into English. So they're very similar, but they're not identical. That's exactly how it should be. You say it's not exactly like Proverbs chapter 3. Well, you don't expect it to be. If it had been exactly you know, some sort of funny business had gone on. This is exactly as it should be. And it says, "Do not." And, and, and in fact, I memorized this from the new, the the, the uh, uh, new American Standard version, but not the current New American Standard version, but the old New American Standard version, because versions of Bibles, even in English, change. You know, every decade they come out with an update to make it more of, of, of common English. But so, so, but he says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Why would I memorize this? Well, when I was an undergraduate, I came to know the Lord shortly after the beginning of my freshman year. I'd been diagnosed in high school with a spastic colon because I used to have a lot of pain in, in, in this area. And that pain got considerably worse my freshman year. My freshman year, just considerably worse, and then much worse my sophomore year. My sophomore year, I spent at least two days a week, at least two days a week in bed. Because I had so much pain, and I was in school, and I was away from home, and and uh, uh, my sophomore year had a very nice guy, in fact, the guy who had led me to the Lord. Uh, in my freshman year, was became my roommate in my sophomore year, and he used to go down to the the cafeteria and bring up food for me because I was so sick. And you know, I kept on taking these these uh, intestinal relaxers for this this uh, uh, because I was diagnosed with this spastic colon. During that first period, I never knew what it was to be deeply involved in the fellowship of the saints. I was reading the scriptures almost every day, trying to meditate on the word of God. But I didn't. I wasn't locking into fellowship. I didn't understand the value of it. At the end of my sophomore year, I remember being invited to a church. And that first time I went into this church, I heard this message, I saw the fellowship of the believers, and I thought, this is great. Wow, I'm coming back here. I'm just coming back. Nothing's going to stop me from coming back here. Well, I didn't come back the next week. You know why? Because after two years of suffering from a spastic colon, I was now proper, properly diagnosed as not having a spastic colon, but having congenital scarring in my ureter, which is the part that the, the kidney bleeds off to the bladder. So there was a scar tissue building up in there, which was causing the kidney to back up. So uh, who, who, who is the, the, the kidney... Surgeon in the class. There's one, one guy in here. He was here last week. A kidney. Uh, yeah, there he is. Okay. So as I was telling him about this, he says, oh, that's the most painful thing you can have. And, and, uh, and I said, yeah, tell me about it. So the, the kidney was just backing up with pressure to try to push through this blockage that was in the ureter. And so it had expanded a lot. And so there's terrible pain. Well, I, right after I'd made this commitment, that I'm coming back to this church. It was properly diagnosed. I had surgery that week. I was in the hospital that following Sunday. That's why I wasn't in the church. As soon as I got out of there, I just became a part of the church. I never had any trouble again. They went in there. They cleared out the scar tissue. Never any pain again. I thank God for that because what it did is it just drove me to the point where I really was hungering for something, something. And I wasn't locking in and it just got worse and worse. And I remember memorizing this verse. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. And the reason I memorized this is because I was talking with a friend of mine. We were going out. We used to do evangelism together. And I told him, I said, you know, after what I've been through with with this kidney problem, and and uh, uh, I don't ever want to leave God's side, never. I saw what it was to not be in fellowship, and how He used this to get me back into fellowship. I said, I'm afraid to do anything but walk with Him. And he said, and he quoted to me this verse out of Proverbs. He says, "Don't be afraid of God." He didn't do that to have you be afraid of him in that way. He was a father disciplining you. And I said, "You know, you're right." And so I, I committed that verse to memory. And in those days, my mem- my memory was just like 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 a steel trap. I mean, I remembered everything. This is why why if, if you have that gift when you're young, you can memorize scriptures very quickly, and it's great when you take organic chemistry because you just remember all these things. And and uh, and so I committed this to, to memory, but it meant a lot to me that God disciplines us. He allows things to happen in our lives to drive us to the right place. You go through things and you say, why did this happen? He's allowing these things to happen. And so what we can do is we can flee from him when these these things happen so that it never has its reward in our life or what we can do is to be totally exasperated totally exasperated and so frustrated that when he finally has to relieve it we we've, we've we've never gained anything by it he wants us to learn by the things that we go through in life there are things that will hit you in your life you wonder why am i going through this god has his purposes in doing this he says in verse 7 it is for discipline that you endure For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is where he talks about discipline and he relates it to a father with his children. You know, Every time you bring your child to school, First time you bring them to school, not all children, but many children are like this. They're scared. They hold on to your leg and they, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. And so what if you say, you know, I want to please you. I really want to please you. So you're right. You don't have to go to school. You're right. I don't want to upset you. Now, what would you say to a parent who does that? You're right. You don't have to go to school. You're scared. Don't worry about it. You're cool. We really don't want to upset your little ego here. No, what do you do? You say, no, you gotta stay here at school. I'll sit in the back the first few days, but you gotta stay in school. And then after two days, they love it so much, like, you can go now. But this is part of what you do. You have to drop young people into experiences. And you guys haven't experienced this firsthand yet, but there'll become a day when you'll take your child to college and you'll drop them off and you'll think like, I hope they're going to be okay. And your heart's just pounding. You know, this was the kid that I used to just, you know, hold on to. What's going to happen to them at school? There's different phases like this. You have to do this as a parent. You have to release them into things that you know can hurt them. But you have to do it as a parent. This is exactly what he's saying. God drops us into difficult situations. He gives us this model in life. He says our our earthly parents did this. Because they cared about us. He says, if God does not do this in our life, he says, we are illegitimate children in, in, in verse 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You're illegitimate children. Because you don't care about other people's children. I remember we were watching a bunch of kids during Hurricane Harvey. There was this cleanup, and, and there were a bunch of kids in our home. And... and. uh I was surprised because we could give kids an iPad and it would keep them quiet for hours. I mean, just hours. When my children were little, we didn't have iPads. We had no TV in the home and so there was nothing. And so I'd give people this iPad and I told my friend who has little kids, I said, it's great, you give them an iPad. He says, yeah, but they get addicted to it. I said, I don't care, they're not my kids. (laughs) And that's exactly right. When they're not my kids, I really don't care. I mean, the parents have to... Fix them up. It's like with my grandkids. I, I don't have to discipline them. I mean, one day my, my granddaughter was doing something and and, and, and uh, I thought she'd get hurt. I said, no, no, don't, don't do that, no. And she just started crying that Papa would say to her, no. So then I realized, I'll never say no to you again. I just say, be careful, that's all. I say, be careful, and i pick her up and remove her from that situation. I said, just be careful. I'm not gonna say to her, no, anymore. Because I don't want to bother her. But her parents have to say no to her. (laughs) You're illegitimate children when you don't have God interceding in your life. It's exactly that. The things that you go through in life, God allows many things. What was I doing? I wasn't doing anything wrong. It's not like you're doing anything wrong. He goes through things to teach us. And I'll leave you with this one last story. Shireen and I were going out caroling. This was back in the days when people would go around singing and you'd knock on doors and I can't sing, but I just did it to make my wife happy. I'm like, you know, back in those days, I was newly married. So I was being a good husband and I'd follow along with her. And, and uh, so she would go out with these groups and go singing and I would just kind of move my lips in the back and 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 uh, uh, we we got home, and then my in-laws, we were staying in their home. This was in, in Syracuse, New York. We, 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 it was over Christmas time, so we were visiting. We were staying in their home. So they went out to some evening party, and uh, uh, so Shireen and I were getting ready for bed. So what happens is I go to bed. The toilet got clogged and started overflowing, and Shireen wakes me up. The toilet's running over, and, and I don't know how to shut it, so I wake up. She didn't want to wake me, so she had waited a while. So everything was terribly flooded, and I shut off the water. I said, wow, there's enough water here. It might might have gone, you know, downstairs, because we were upstairs. And so this is my brother-in-law's house. I go downstairs, and uh, I see water dripping from underneath the cabinet onto the kitchen counter. A stream of water coming down. I go, "Uh uh-oh. So anyway, we, we... we're cleaning the, we cleaned up the bathroom, we cleaned up the kitchen, all the plates. It had run all over the plates too. So we were taking out all the plates and washing them. And then I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if it went past the kitchen into the basement. And he had just had his basement remodeled. And I go down into the basement and there's a stream of water coming down from the ceiling and the, the blown ceiling had come off and was hanging down and a stream of water was going down onto the floor. Yeah. I had gone caroling. That's a good Christian thing to do. I mean, it wasn't like I was at, you know, some crazy party doing, I was doing a good thing. I mean, why didn't you just let me go to sleep after that? So I remember just taking the, the, the blown ceiling and pushing it back up and just, and it stuck and it stuck. <laughs> and I just kind of left it there and just a tiny little scene. You could barely see it. So when they came home, we waited up for them and we told them, you know, the toilet overflowed and, and some water went into the kitchen and, and we cleaned it all up. I don't, I don't think I even mentioned the basement. I mean, why, you know, why give the man a heart attack? I mean, I, so anyway, they said, oh, don't worry about it. You, you, you know, you, we, we've had water flood before. Okay, I don't want to worry about it. Every year I went back there, I used to go to the basement and look and you could see that little seam. It never came off. At least not that I know, but you can see that little scene there. You're doing things even can be Christian and bad things happen. God allows things to happen in our lives. We can't explain, but he allows it for our discipline. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. I pray, Lord, for these young people. As many of them are going through things even now. Help them to understand that you're using this to draw them closer to you, that you're using this to draw them closer. The mercies and the grace of God be upon them, I pray. Father, I pray for these young people that you'll get a hold of their hearts, get a hold of their hearts to draw them close to you. And Father, for those here that do not know you, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to Jesus, that they would pray this day, Father, forgive me because I am a sinner, and come into my life. Father, come into my life. In the name of Jesus, come into my life. And Lord, I pray that you draw these young people close. In Jesus' name, amen.